0: hello everybody and welcome to the american shoreline podcast this is peter Ravella, co-host of the show and this is tyler buckingham the other co-host you know tyler for months we've been talking about climate change and we've been saying that climate change fundamentally is a people problem indeed as opposed to a science issue and uh, one of the states in america where this is most vividly occurring is the is louisiana we all have something to learn from Louisiana. There's a lot to learn down there, and we're going to be talking about uh, the community basis of this issue and how it's being approached in Louisiana with a great guest. Uh, it's Liz Williams-Russell, who is the Climate Justice Program Director for the Foundation for Louisiana, and I'm really looking forward to learning about what she's been up to down in Louisiana in dealing with uh, climate-related issues in uh, in the in the Gulf of uh, Mexico and on Louisiana coasts yeah and in particular how uh,
1: she is spearheading an effort to go to the community level go to the people the actual people yeah not just uh, those of us who are professionals those of us who work in this space you know uh, what I call the officer class you know like (laughs) like you got to get out into the real world into uh, real people's lives and um, empower I think it's about empowerment, isn't it? I think it's about empowerment. I think it's about just good government, actually, and and our society needing to take care of ourselves uh, as as a body. But uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Liz. I heard Liz speak at the Ocean Blue uh, happy hour that uh, gets put on every so often there uh, by our friends in D.C., Emily and Rennie. And... uh, it, I was moved. What can I say? It was a really, uh, Liz gave a really moving uh, presentation. And I said at that moment, like, I've yeah. got to reach out to Liz and get her on this show. That was a good move. So here we are. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it, Peter. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors.
2: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at com. That's C-H-L-O-E at Today.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: Well, Liz, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast, and thank you very much for taking time to speak to our listeners about the important work you're doing in Louisiana. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you know, would you be so kind as to introduce our audience to uh, the work that you're doing, uh, the foundation for Louisiana? Uh, what is your uh, what's your objective, and uh, tell us about tell us about what you're doing in your work?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, so I have the privilege of, as you mentioned, operating as the climate justice program director. Uh, we have uh, launched this portfolio about five years ago. Initially, it's called the. Uh, coastal resilience leverage fund and it has transformed into the climate justice portfolio foundation for louisiana was started uh, actually in the days immediately following hurricane katrina meant to be a philanthropic intermediary that could get resources out on the ground uh, to communities to communities that were being left out of the traditional philanthropic response as well as our institutional responses to disaster Uh, so really responding uh, to the complexities and uh, the the um, sort of added and rippling consequences of acute and chronic disasters as part of the DNA of the foundation. Um, and we fully recognize that without action, climate change, as well as our institutional responses to it, will exacerbate the existing inequities that are already built into our communities um, at all levels. Um, We are very explicit uh, at the foundation that in understanding that black communities, indigenous communities, communities of color and low income communities are more likely to live and work near toxic facilities like petrochemical companies that emit pollutants and shorten and impact the quality of life. Those communities more likely to reside in areas where there's more flooding, more likely to receive inadequate infrastructure investment to actually mitigate risks and prevent disasters. And then those communities also experience delayed and insufficient response and recovery investments during and after emergencies. Um, and so with this lens, uh, the portfolio really grew out of an understanding at the time of, of the extent of ongoing land loss across the state of Louisiana, which as you know, um, was Was caused by both uh, the the management or mismanagement of the Mississippi River, channelization of navigation canals for oil and gas and maritime purposes, uh, subsidence, uh, coastal erosion, uh, saltwater intrusion, on and on. Um, And we're at a place in Louisiana where we've already lost uh, almost are about 1,900 square miles of land since the 1930s. So sea level rise is not a future scenario here, um, and uh, the impacts of climate change across our communities um, are are not a future scenario. And so we have uh, been doing this work really since the inception of the foundation, and can continue uh, to double down on expand and and support uh, this work as we continue to also center the communities most impacted by these changes and ensure that they have the seats at design and decision making tables uh for for now 10 years from now you know 25 years from now and impacts that we'll see 50 years from now
1: so liz obviously uh this is a a massive challenge here Uh, and we know we we here on aspn we talk a lot about louisiana Uh, we Mm -hmm. actually run uh, Delta Dispatches. Our audience, is, of course, knows Delta Dispatches. We run that show so that we can learn from what's going on in Louisiana. We kind mm-hmm. of view Louisiana as the tip of the spear uh, okay. in our uh, society's attempt to confront the issues, the coastal issues related to climate change. Um, how do you begin this process? I mean, I'm, I'm interested out of from the aftermath of Katrina, which is a uh, obviously a very uh, finite disaster. It had, it had, it, it happened um, to this different type of uh, disaster that's happening kind of slowly. Um, how do you, appro- what's the approach here? How do you go about uh, accomplishing these goals?
3: Yeah. Um, so as listeners on this show, will obviously know from all of your uh, collaboration and, and work in Louisiana. um The Coastal Master Plan was our initial attempt to uh, assess all of the ways that land loss is occurring uh, and begin to mitigate that, both through restoration, structural and non-structural investments, mitigate the flood risk that comes along with that. Um, and the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority was really formed also after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita in 2005. Um, and we've taken many steps as a state um, to both understand at an incredible level of sophistication uh, the extent of land loss, land, uh, land growth potential, as well as increased flood risk with relative sea level rise over time that we can expect. Um, and what when When we launched this portfolio at the Foundation for Louisiana, um, what we were hearing from community, uh, from our community partners, was um, the Coastal Master Plan does a lot of great things. And also, there are some things that are impacts to our communities which are not included in that. Uh, So, for example, um, you know, if you had to evacuate for Hurricane Katrina and you couldn't come back to your home for three to six months, Uh, You know, what does it mean when your employer has found another employee? We're not considering job change uh, and economic uh, disparities or. Uh, impacts in areas that are losing land and seeing increased flood risk? Or what does it do to the community and culture when you're able to elevate these seven houses and these 10 are eligible for buyouts over time, uh, but the rest of the homes may not receive investments? What does it do to the fabric um, and the sort of cultural identity of a place? Um, You know, what does it mean when you have schools shutting down? Because anecdotally, um, we're seeing... Uh, And and also, there's lots of research to support this as well. We're seeing uh, people with resources be able to pick up and move to areas they perceive as higher and safer grounds. Excuse me. So what are all of the impacts across everything we care about? Um, We were hearing from our partners, you know, we want to be a part of this design and decision-making. We want to not be shown a plan when it's in draft form. We want to be a part of actually creating the solutions for all the ways that coastal and climate change impacts our communities. Um, and so way back in 2015, we were initiating a process uh, to actually, okay, well, if we're gonna design a plan, uh, a planning process even, that is inclusive and equitable and brings the people most impacted to the table from day one, what does that look like? Um, so, obviously, there are some logistical questions like how many meetings do we have? What barriers can we remove for folks? So, can we provide childcare and food that people like and will show up for, um, transportation? Um, How do we uh, accommodate language barriers? Obviously language barriers in terms of non-native English speakers, but also uh, the very technical reality of flood risk information. How do we make sure uh, that community leaders in those places have the tools that they need to connect their own personal experience uh, to the, the ways that decisions are made and how they might organize and advocate for their communities? Um, And so a a sort of design scheme for what that planning process would look like really grew uh, from those conversations. Uh, the last thing I'll mention is that, not unsurprisingly, people don't want to hear this information from people that are outside of their community. We Mm -hmm. heard a lot of, you know, somebody comes down from Baton Rouge or New Orleans, somebody comes from up the road or up the river or up the bayou, and they come down here and they tell me what I'm supposed to do with my community now or 10 years from now and 25 years from now without any resources for me to actually make those decisions. So what does it mean for for me or a a leader in my community community, obviously I'm speaking as a leader in my community, to be able to know where those decisions are made, who's the correct person to go to for XYZ community need, um, and be able to really advance the things that I care about and the things that my family, friends, neighbors, colleagues care about. Um, and so so our our work has really emerged uh, from from those conversations.
1: It's very cool. Uh, and I, I I it's obviously a massive undertaking but so essential can i i would like to go back to this idea of the uh, state the, of the foundation for Louis. because mm-hmm. what you're talking about like one could argue i suppose that this is like government duty this is what the government's <laughs> supposed to be doing all this all this business going out to the communities understanding mm-hmm. what they need mm-hmm. listening uh, you know but uh, but in, but you work for the Foundation for Louisiana. I'm, and and you mentioned uh, earlier uh, with the creation of uh, the foundation after Katrina that there were some holes in the response. And I'm curious this dynamic uh, you know, post Katrina in this climate justice perspective, how as a foundation, um, you are able to, fill the gaps, I suppose you might say. But could you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about like what, what the, the dynamic of being a foundation versus the, you know, the state government versus other sure. layers of government?
3: Sure. Um, so <laughs> there's so many, there's so many sort of hurdles and opportunities. in the question that you just asked, um, I think there is a reality that these conversations are really difficult. Right. Um, And so even with the coastal master plan where we fully articulate um, and this has unanimously passed through our um, majority and supermajority Republican state legislature um, three times now, uh, you know, the coastal master plan illustrates that we don't expect some of our communities to still be there. 50 years from now, 25 years from now, even with full investment in the Coastal Master Plan. And we can do tremendous things to restore land and reduce risk over time. And still, some of our places are bound, even with that investment, um, uh, to wash away into the sea. And our 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 communities, we feel that, right? We feel, you can feel the energy of the land disappearing around you. Um, and, and there's a reality that those conversations are tough and no agency per se is designated to have those conversations. Um, so from a very uh, specific, you know, just like who, who says, who goes out into the community and says this and not just puts the map up on the wall because we do have agencies and partners uh, in the NGO space that puts the map up on the wall and, and show over time where, where the land loss disappears. But whose job is it to have the most difficult conversations about the realities of our our, our future conditions, our current conditions? Um, that's not explicitly designated at a, at a broader scale. You know, when it comes to thinking about the vast implications of coastal and climate change across all of the sectors of our lives. Um, Community and culture, economy and jobs, um, environment uh, from a housing standpoint, transit standpoint, water management standpoint, those are all different decision makers. Um, And uh, at the time, and and we are really advancing work in Louisiana now differently um, and to bring some of those agencies in, but the agencies whose jobs it is to think about economic development or public health or housing and affordability, they're not... Mm-hmm. brought in per se to the conversations about coastal and climate change. And you see this at all levels of government okay. where we have divested from government and continue to reduce our institutional capacity to deal with the work they already have. Those decision makers are not inclined to expand out into a much, uh, a, a, I would say uh, much more vast and existential set of circumstances to which they might not be, uh, extremely comfortable. Mm. Um, so when the Foundation for Louisiana um, in 2016 had this specific small pot of money, a few hundred thousand dollars, um, to work uh, to work in some of the parishes most intensely impacted by climate change um, and, and by sea level rise, more explicitly, um, you know. Okay, well, let's try it. Um, And we also are bringing money to the table. So maybe this is an opportunity. And I do think this is something that arose. There are some things that Foundation for Louisiana or another philanthropic institution can invest in that are much harder for government funds to be moved to. Um, It's much easier for our staff to move stipends to support community leaders in facilitating conversations than it is for a multi-billion dollar state agency uh to move you know a hundred dollars a meeting uh to support transportation and and compensation for time right um
0: yeah so let's um well let's talk about the you're you're mentioning that that the conversations are difficult the the notion that the coastal master plan anticipates the loss of not only land in spite of the tremendous efforts that the state is made making but a loss of communities as well. And those difficult conversations, as you say, are part of the work that you're doing, the gap that you're filling, is to institute this inclusive planning process that engages these communities in, you know, as you say, a very difficult conversation to confront the reality of uh, the loss of culture and community that's happening on the Louisiana shoreline. Um, what's it been like for you to jump in the middle of that conversation, that difficult conversation?
3: Yeah, I, I wanna acknowledge that we are one of the many players that are working to have these conversations um, and just really uh, elevate the work of community leaders and community-based organizations who okay. are necessarily having these conversations. Um, and where we can provide support in all kinds of ways both in terms of grants or materials um, access to decision makers, uh, technical information uh, and data that might be uh, talking points for some of our community partners right. um, it is really the leaders who are embedded in the individual communities who are holding these conversations and so I just want to fully acknowledge okay. that that all of this work would be possible wouldn't be possible without those, those partners. Um, but we have, I think that that said, um, we have helped to push conversations that maybe weren't being had before Before the LA Safe process, which I know we'll get to, you know, uh, my colleagues at the state and I were told we were gonna have our tires slashed and tomatoes thrown at us. We couldn't possibly go into XYZ communities down the river or the bayou and talk about the reality That is illustrated in the Coastal Master Plan maps. Okay. Um, And that was.
0: So how does, how is it, was, it gone? It's so, not
3: true at all. So you, you, um really,
0: You have ventured yeah, down the we, road?
3: We, we had these conversations and, and, um you know, we opened up this dialogue. We said, this is what we see from the maps, you know, 50 years back, 50 years forward. These are the trends we see. These are the population movements we see accordingly, uh, the data uh, of where people are moving to and from. You know, how have you experienced that? And some of the comments we got was like, we're like, thank you for finally coming down and saying this because we all know it's happening and dancing around it is not, <laughs> it, it doesn't benefit anyone. That's so good. thank you for finally being explicit about it. And yeah. also, like, let's talk about what's really happening and all the scales that that's happening and all the ripple effects that that has for real estate values, job access, healthcare access, the ability to get my kids to school, on and on and on.
0: Hmm. So what what is the, um, that's you know, so you're, you, you end up, in these planning processes at the local level with local leaders and stakeholders and residents to inform them of the risk coming, as you said, the long-term trends and changes in shoreline position and loss of land and what it means for the community. And is this a listening tour? Is this what you're going town to town and and trying to give people a chance to uh, react to this reality? What's what are you actually doing when you go into these communities?
3: Yeah, so I I would say that's not how it started. Um, In 2016, we we held a couple of big meetings with uh, did a lot of research ahead of time for who were how do we have a representative swath of community leaders from neighborhood organizations, faith-based groups, fisheries associations, um, different leaders in the community who, who who may not hold any formal position, but who are the neighbor that people look to because they happen to stay more informed in all these ways. Um, and, and we brought them together and asked what that process would look like. By the end of 2016, sort of serendipitously, um, the state of Louisiana had received $92.6 million as part of the National Disaster Recovery Competition, both uh, to support the resettlement of Ilda Jean-Charles and uh, the the LA safe program, Louisiana strategic adaptations for future environments, which was at the time, uh, frankly, a 13 page policy paper. Um, and, uh, I had been um, having many conversations with all sorts of uh, decision makers in the sort of planning, community planning and development spaces, um, from the Office of Community Development, the winner of that NDRC award, uh, to the local planning offices, uh, CPRA staff, um, the different staff from FEMA to, excuse me, to just say, hey guys, this is what we're doing down in Plaquemines Parish. H- do y'all have any torpedoes we need to watch out for or speed bumps? And like, what do you think? And just kind of keeping them aware. Um, and then as uh, this money came in for the NDRC competition, um, the idea sort of emerged between FFL and OCD staff. What if we could work together to, to co-fund and co- co-manage um, the implementation of this planning process that we had supported in designing in Plaquemines Parish, but in the six parishes that were eligible for those dollars following Hurricane Isaac, um, uh, six parishes with remaining unmet needs um, and actually six parishes that over time, um, this data is actually a couple of years old now, have received eight and a half percent of uh, the national <laughs> NFIP payouts. Um, so it's so not a, an unrepresentative group of parishes for Louisiana. Um, And sort of the the work emerged and then all of a sudden um, something we had designed and were planning to implement in one parish meant uh, we're now doing it in six parishes and across uh, 2017 we had more than 70 community meetings, community engagement events, Uh, some were parish wide, some were small community meetings. Uh, we asked residents to designate where we should be having meetings instead of decision makers from outside of communities deciding that. So they're going, okay, you can have one here and here, but don't have one here. People won't cross the river um, to get to this one. So then you'll have two in, in that are basically the same group of people. So you need to have one here to compensate for that. Or, you know, if you have one here, you really need to have this restaurant be the caterers because like huh. more people are going to show up if you have this this, uh, bread pudding, especially. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> the level of, um, dialogue and just, uh, uh frankly, like co co-design co-collaborated, um, uh, thinking was at every level of this oh. process. And, and then it was definitely, um, listening sessions, but also like design sessions. We were yeah. drawing on maps on tables and, uh, and, and having very real conversations.
1: Sounds It sounds like there was a creative uh, vibe, which uh, is cool. I think it, there's some sort of um, optimism, uh, it seems, that was achieved. Uh, let, let me ask, first of all, I, I've, I've got a, just, I'm so interested in this process, but could you take us through, like how many, could you take us into the room? Like what, okay, so we're at the place, you got the right bread pudding. Mm-hmm. We've got, We're on the right side of the river, <laughs> and what? Describe to me, like, what what kind of building are we in? Uh, how many people are in there? Um,
0: uh how, how f- what are you talking about yeah yeah so what's the agenda you're, how are yeah, you designing when you say <laughs> what are you designing so you get the maps out what are you trying to decide what to do
3: sure um okay so um the meetings were generally held at local auditoriums or uh local gyms or uh in some cases local libraries or uh in some cases like a uh, A faith-based organization would host. Um, And uh, we tried to work with the partners in that parish uh, to designate that. Um, I also want to be very clear that this process was not just the Foundation for Louisiana and the Office of Community Development. Uh, We had a slew of um, community nonprofit public private and philanthropic allies uh, so uh, the state to your earlier question of like what what government can invest in it versus what FFL can you know the state could um, ensure that the contractors design contractors were staffed um, to be able to uh, sort of create drawings that came from uh, the community um, sort of modeling the community uh design drawings that occurred on the table um and come back and, and at the next round of meetings say is this what you said right um we were able to provide grants to a slew of nonprofits across the sixth parish area um for organizations that wanted to both recruit people there wanted to go door to door and talk about like what people wanted to see for people who are never going to turn up at the meetings um, on and on, uh, and and then I also want to touch on the Lead the Coast program, which was a key uh, investment. Uh, is is an investment of the Foundation for Louisiana, and is a four Saturday leadership education advocacy development program. Uh, where we go into Coast Climate 101, uh, race, power, and privilege, facilitation training, organizing training, advocacy training. Um, And we had more than 65 graduates of that program. We ran it three times before we launched LA Safe. Um, 65 graduates went on to be the facilitators of these 70 public meetings um, in collaboration with FFL staff, OCD staff, um, and, and, and some of the state contractors, some of our grantees, on and on. Um, So in these meetings, you know, there was always a a sort of bounce between uh, presentation at the front uh, to break out into your tables of like six to 10 people um, and then talk at your tables about like what was just said, how have you experienced that? Um, And then those conversations also evolved over the five rounds of meetings, Um, even by the by the first end of the first meeting, we're already turning into. How could your community be better, right? How could your community be more resilient, more healthy, more vibrant um, in the face of all these challenges? And so from from the first round of meetings in March of 2017, people were already brainstorming um, and and people were already thinking, you know, okay, well, you know, it is it's really traumatic to face this level of risk. Um, and, And and what does it mean to have a place where i feel safe and secure and so some of those conversations uh, you know turned into uh conversations about communities where things might be different and some places turned into what could be done in the place where i currently live um, uh, to mitigate these risks i would say we really backed into the conversations around uh communities no longer existing we said um, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, 50 years from now. We use that as a generational framework. So we said, 10 years from now, maybe you're thinking about yourself, right? Maybe you're thinking about your kids. 25 years from now, maybe you're thinking about yourself, but more likely you're thinking about your kids or your grandkids. And 50 years from now, most people in the room are not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the generations to come. Um, and that was the the framework through which we backed into uh where we see communities disappearing and so then all of a sudden we had people more willing to talk about that future um you know i may never move right this kind of language i'm never going to move but my kids have already moved they moved to the next town up because it's higher and safer um or i want them to have this better life and so i hope that they move to you know home, uh, north homer or thibodeau where it's higher land outside of this low line by, by region um but also we have a situation in Louisiana that other people around the country don't have. Right. We have had so many storms um, and so much land loss already that there's a historic trend that makes the future easier to wrap your head around. Um, And so that is a unique set of things uh, for Louisiana. And it also gives us the tools um, to engage with people's personal experience as opposed to projecting out uh, a set of conditions that they may not be as familiar with
1: yeah i I often think about how um obviously louisiana is a particularly dynamic state uh being the the delta and everything but i think about coastal communities like this dynamic coasts are dynamic they they change a lot so uh when you're thinking about how to talk about change you can use the history of the place um i i am how let's talk a little bit about the the scale of thinking in these mm-hmm. these meetings. So you're dealing with a local community. You've targeted a specific community, a specific parish, and uh, specific leaders to come to the table. Um, how big is the thinking? You know, I think that part of the problem when we think about uh, resilience, you know, it's kind of that that is a term that we throw around, mm-hmm. um, and it can mean like nothing. <laughs> Uh, and, and also everything. and everything and and climate change can be like the same thing like you we can mm-hmm. talk about you know well china is a and and uh there's just nothing we can do about it i'm just going to go about living my life uh you can think about these things in like big planetary <laughs> mm-hmm. frameworks or you can think about them extremely uh locally like hey we we got to pick up our trash and get the plastic out of our I, i'm just curious to know how um, over the course of these meetings, uh, what sense of scale communities in Louisiana that are confronting an existential uh, question? What is there a blame thing going on? Like, how do how, what's what's how are, how is this issue being framed up and on what scale is it being framed up?
3: So, you know, from a climate change perspective, we we were. At the time, you know, we were not using climate change as the vocabulary. We used sea level rise, we used the impacts of climate change locally. This was mostly an adaptation planning process. Um, There were, when we talked, when we got into sector specific ideas like transportation or housing um, or job access, then you, emer- then you sort of emerged into, um, a, you know, greener paths, if you will, um, and paths to reduce emissions through sector diversification and job creation in the coastal restoration or water management space or wind farm manufacturing. Um, Uh, Or, you know, the different paths to reduce emissions in transportation or housing as an individual sector. But we did not have those just full, you know, with full transparency, we did not have emissions um, or climate change causing conversations in in the larger conversation in the in the big room, if you will. Right. It wasn't Um, on the
1: agenda formally. Yeah, but I, but I have to wasn't. imagine, and
3: and I think that avoided some of the politicization uh, right. that that tends to occur from a from a question of scale. Um, we fluctuated between sort of the municipal or community scale to the parish scale to the region scale, and then back and forth. Um, and 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 I will say, you know the community leaders were who we targeted to help get people out, but these were very much public meetings. We blasted on Facebook, on all sorts of social media. We had road signs everywhere. Uh, We put it in the radio and local newspapers. Um, These were very much meant to be come one, come all. Um, And also we did pay special attention to the communities that are historically left out of these conversations and made sure that nonprofits from Black communities, indigenous communities, LGBTQ communities, uh, communities of color, low income communities had designated sort of organizations that were actively seeking out residents in their neighborhood to make sure that they knew that they were welcome um, and that their opinion was wanted uh, and that they were a key designer in that future. Um, But the question of scale was really. Really critical. Um, and it allowed people to to sort of dream locally and, and on the maps, drawing, you know, we have this sort of regional crowdsourced land use map that came from this. Um, and, and what was really apparent to us at the end, because um, we were also uh, told by other allies that like people aren't going to make good decisions about where things should go. And that's wrong. People make really informed decisions when they're given the time, energy, space, and Data in front of them to c- again connect their personal experience. Um, our experience was that people made mm-hmm. very informed decisions, and of course, you always have the like kind of crazy wonky idea, like uh, somebody at the very end of the Mississippi River, an area that's subsiding an inch and a half a year in Venice, wanted a big box target with a Starbucks in it, and it's like, of course, like I can't get into the extent to which global market forces to de- decide whether, you know, that is going to happen in that area, both from a population standpoint, market standpoint, environmental sustainability standpoint. Mm-hmm. But the crux of, 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 of need was in there. That person had to drive an hour and a half to get to fresh produce from a local store without going to somebody they knew's yard. Um, they had to drive an hour to get a cup of coffee. And so the lack of having access to amenities was something that needed to be thought about um, and thought about across those low moderate and high flood risk areas um, because even as our communities change and and even as they disappear um the the vibrant fisheries and realities of louisiana's working coast will mean that some semblance of places is, is still there um until it's completely gone and so what is that what does it look like to acknowledge that and plan for that and not only be coming from a place of retreat and surrender, but a place of imagining and envisioning what the future might look like?
0: Wow. Well, Well, you know, as we said, climate change ultimately is a people problem. This is where sort of the rubber meets the road or the high tides reach, reach the road. Uh, but you're doing this crowdsourced land use planning, these inclusive, engaged community planning sessions, right? And, and over 70 it sounds like 70 meetings in the program that you're directing Uh, what is the impact of all of that good work and the voices that you're hearing does it influence state spending or philanthropic spending how does it manifest in the real world
3: Um, So uh, there are across the board answers to that question. Um, You know, one of the commitments the state of Louisiana made at the start of this process was to each of the parishes, each of the six parishes, we had meetings with all their elected officials. Look, if you play ball, the state of Louisiana is going to make an investment in your community. We don't already know what that investment is. It's going to come from this process. You know, we knew behind the scenes that it would be about a five to seven million dollar investment from the 40 million dollars that was available through the program. Um, and uh, by the last round of public meetings, um, well, actually, you know, by the later rounds, we had uh, six pilot potential projects for each of the parishes that had emerged from all of that crowdsourced land use planning, all of the ideas that people had put on the table, um, all of the, frankly, the ongoing work that was already occurring in parishes that was not just a project that's been talked about for 40 years and it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere, but something that's still really relevant and really needed. Um, and we pulled six of those um, and designed six of those sort of hypothetical uh, community development investments. And then in the final round of meetings, we asked the residents to vote on which project they wanted to see invested in their parish. Um, We did this in a really transparent way. We had these awesome clear tubes. Uh, One of our design teams was really fantastic at creating these clear tubes. Everybody got tokens when they got into the meeting. Uh, They had six tokens. They got to vote with their tokens where they wanted to go. Two two were yellow, two were green, two were blue. The yellow were the top, the blue was uh, the bottom. Ranked choice. (laughs) <laughs> and, and at the end, we unwrapped these clear tubes because they were hidden the whole meeting. And so everyone who was at the meeting got to see what had received the most, inv- most votes, right? Because the, the, the clear tube that's more yellow shows that that's the winner, as opposed to the clear tube that's more blue or green. It's like, yeah, we like that, but also it's not our favorite. We also had an online voting uh, system that we threw together. Uh, where people for three weeks from the parishes got to come vote on which project they wanted, whether they had been to the meeting or not, there were things on the website they could look at um, and decide which projects to invest in. Sounds wonderful. So, <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: yeah that so sounds so really cool. 40, I mean, I don't think this has happened in the state of Louisiana, and I, I suspect not many other states either, right? But to see the state actually commit to the top projects that were voted on by the public. Yeah. Um, so there's $41 million of investments in 10 projects that we're, were – Wow. The top or top two projects in every area. And then there's a few others that the state okay. really wanted to support moving forward.
0: Le- Liz, let me ask you a question. So you've, you said 5 yeah. to $7 million was made available. Is that per parish?
3: Per parish. Okay, yeah. so a
0: total of around and- $40 million is on the table. Uh, let me see yeah. if I can follow along what you're do- doing. It sounds like yeah. a really great process. You, you have a series of events in these communities. Is, I think not. Yes. A, this is not a one-shot deal. You're there not a developing relationships with the community, inviting them in. Uh, with a stack of money already on the table, this is what's great about this is, they're not going to apply for a grant. The state's going, right. look, we've got 5 to $7 million for your town. What do you want us to do in relation to the problems yeah. we're discussing? And yeah. it really empowers the community. H- how was the reaction? I mean, I'm very interested. What I mean, obviously, we don't need to go through every parish and project that was selected. Sure. but. But I've got to think that uh I got to hear about one. Yeah, I mean we got to hear about one and and when the tube is unveiled and you see what the winning project is is are people clapping or Are there like, like fireworks? Yeah, like yeah, I see yeah. confetti when, and down. when does it start? I mean, when I does the check come? I
3: smile on my face just thinking about this round of meetings in December 2017 because it was honestly fun. Um we had also for this round, like gotten some local musicians. So like there's Cajun music at some of them, Zydeco. It was just
0: like a fun, yeah. It
3: was, it, shrimp I mean, boil? Did you have shrimp? Did you
0: have a shrimp? Um,
3: yeah. You know, shrimp, lots of, I mean, I swear we have bread pudding at every meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I eat so much bread pudding that year. Um, but, but no, we, uh, the, I think the five to $7 million, I want to come back to that because it's really important. Um, but, but, you know, there was, there was like a, yeah, you know, there's cheering for some people. Um, there's, there's like, ah, oh, but also like, okay, that's all right. I see all these people I've, I know, you know, and they voted for something I didn't vote for, but like, we're all here and we're doing this and like, they're all good projects. Like none of them were like right. bad projects. Um, I would also say, you know, we were a little apprehensive of like, what if some, you know, random, Person or elected official or developer, somebody gets everyone to turn out for their project, um, and in one parish that kind of happened. Hmm. Um, there was there was actually two different projects i guess it like word got out you got to get to this meeting and everybody's gonna vote and there's these two projects and you got like top projects so there was a little lobbying Um, going
0: on a little campaigning (laughs) going on yeah (laughs) Yeah. you you know this is america we expect that yeah we're used to it it wasn't
3: a bad thing because it's like okay well at least it got everybody the meetings and they all walked around and looked at the boards and you know talked with people about the flood risk and the land change and all the things that are happening in their parish now. and maybe they wouldn't have participated before. So, okay. So
0: cool projects know. on the, what are yeah. the top coolest projects that you think came so, out of the process? So what are of the, course, what are, there
3: are some that are like uh, green infrastructure, stormwater management, reducing flood risk. Generally uh, we have a uh, emerging industry incubator to, so to specifically support Coastal restoration and water management, uh, entrepreneur access uh, in the Bayou region. Uh, We had a safe harbor for fishermen. We had affordable, um, resilient housing. So, housing in a moderate flood risk area, but like what does it look like to be um, low emissions, sustainable, um, and also resilient to flood risk? Wow,
0: that's cool. Um, Yeah. Elevated, flood proof, that kind of thing. New affordable housing in less risky areas. Right. That's substantial.
3: Um, That's meaningful. And I think the f- the five to seven million dollars. I just want to highlight this because it's such an important amount of money.
0: <laughs> is that um, is this the per parish money? Yeah, per yeah, parish. Okay. So just just want to make sure I'm following like, the money. It's around forty million total. Forty. 40 I was
1: once right,
3: told. So. If, if you want to understand the world, follow. The yeah. Money. Yeah. And if max, you know, the state could spend fifteen percent on planning. Um, you know, what was the total that was available? So mm-hmm. um, so we just kind of broke it down there. Honestly, the state of Louisiana ended up adding additional money to the pot and ended Good. up investing forty one million dollars in projects in addition to the planning costs, right. um, which was super exciting. But the five to seven million dollars was enough money to get people to play, <laughs> to yeah. get elected yeah, officials interested without the political arm twisting that comes with bigger chunks huh. of money. I'm digging this process
0: um, now. I'm starting to understand <laughs> this is a pretty I love the upfront commitment. And then of course that would incentivize people to participate and be part of it and help define the list of projects that are going to be voted on. Okay. I mean they're they're involved in that stage. They're not just given the list I of just, six. I just want to play you know, hypothetical they have to, they have to develop that.
1: I want to play hypothetical Governing systems uh, Perspective so like Just so I can a understand this Liz but also I think that I think that There's an important thing because you were talking about like Freeing up these Local politicians Who are Who have you know There are taxes there are Budgets that need to be Mm -hmm. and by The state putting the Money on the table yeah It frees up the local Politicians to just simply support whichever Mm -hmm. project the community the community kind of goes with is that is that fair to say
0: were these i
1: mean did it
0: did it depoliticize the conversation a little bit i mean is that what you're asking i think
3: think a little bit yeah um and i would say uh you know there was so much documentation of all of the ideas that had gone into forming these projects no elected official is like a battery ram up. you can't get in the <laughs> yeah. way of that you're, you're just no. gonna
1: bowl you over <laughs> i don't know it's yeah like-
3: no elected official is gonna stand up and say like my constituents don't want this they tried at the beginning to say that some of them not all of them but like we don't need this here you know that kind of thing that's why the five to seven million was, huh. was important but but like no the constituents actually do want this actually that the incubator hmm was an important one for that because local officials would have told us that constituents had no interest in diversification of the economy beyond the existing predominantly oil and gas related hmm. workforce opportunities. Yeah. Um, and what we heard across our coastal parishes who have all, I mean, the state of Louisiana has historically been very tied to that industry. If you look at the data, its it has never recovered from the 1980s oil slump. Um, in terms of job access and actually revenue creation continues to decline. But we have a narrative that supports that industry in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we, we got there. We got to that incubator because their constituents had said there are billions of dollars being spent in our communities for coastal restoration. And yeah. why are we not getting access to those jobs and business opportunities? All right. Let's talk about this that. Liz. I
0: love this. I love this. So part of the, the part of the, conversations that occurred at the local level down uh, on on the coast in Louisiana was this notion of in the bayou why aren't we part of the investment in climate adaptation Mm -hmm. why aren't we creating local companies to elevate houses and flood proof and do stormwater management and do restoration work why aren't those companies being created right here in our communities that sounds like a fantastic outcome of the process and were actual investments made in this, this incubator, I guess, is a business development investment in mm-hmm. climate adaptation uh, jobs, right?
3: Yeah, it is, it is. And it's also just a one drop in the bucket. Okay. Um, but this is, I think, a key that's relevant across the nation. Yeah. We tend to keep <laughs> so divided the conversations on emissions reduction and adaptation And the reality, in my opinion, in Louisiana, is that you cannot get to one without the other. Hmm. The the tremendous investment that is required to go ahead and start investing in adaptation and reduced risk to climate-induced disasters is what gets us to the inclusive economy, if we set it up right, Hmm. uh, that allows us to wean our reliance or perceived reliance on extractive industries. Man. And and we're just not taking advantage of that. So, you know, for me, I want to see matching investments from Louisiana Economic Development, the Workforce Commission, the Federal Small Business Administration, um, as we continue to invest in adaptation across Louisiana and across the country. I want to see us building and incorporating racial and gender equity into the infrastructure that we design to build out these new economies and be sure that we're reducing the increased economic disparities that we see across all of our communities through the investments to build a more healthy, vibrant, just, and resilient world. If that word can mean, can mean specifically at this point, reduced risk
1: well, I like um, th-
3: and ability to rebound.
1: I like that. Uh, I like the way that feels going into my brain. Um, uh, now I have to ask. I, I, I want. We will talk more about the future and what the future holds. And uh, but uh, one thing I just have to ask you about is when I think of Louisianans, I think of uh, I think of self-reliance. You know, I think of like a, a long cultural history of kind of doing it their own way, on their own. Uh, and I'm just wondering how. It, for, first of all, I mean, this is this is a, a stereotype that I'm I'm throwing out there, but um, was that a does that exist? And was that harnessed at all in the community discussion about uh, resilience and kind of sustainable uh, scenario planning into the future, where it's like, hey, we we need to be able to exist autonomously as a community like we have each other's backs I mean I'm just curious you know how that folds in or if it does at
3: all I I think it did and I think it does Um, I think it did into the process because that's how we got all of these great ideas to emerge in the types of investments that the state would make Um, uh, I think absolutely uh, the Louisiana ingenuity is there Um, I think it will continue to emerge as we support uh, these emerging economic opportunities across the state, and recognize that diversification is is a key to our future. We know that communities with fewer resources are less able to adapt. So what does it mean to actually accommodate that at every level of our government infrastructure? Mm -hmm. Um, I think when it comes to, you know, the future and and the present i see emerging ideas and innovations all over the place i see the point shen indian tribe who has uh, built elevated gardens so that they can continue to grow their produce but when they get a south wind and some of their community is flooding they don't lose their entire crop of a community garden um I see people tying P to their houses uh so they know they can get um you know, I'm sorry, that's a small wooden boat in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> gonna, <laughs> uh, yes. You gotta pull the P uh, down the bayou. You gotta uh, Yeah, but but I see people doing things and they're not, you know, we shouldn't all have to do these things. And also, um, of course, innovation comes. Um, you know, uh I found myself kayaking down my street a year and a half ago in New Orleans because we had eight inches of rain in an hour and a half. Um, So, you know, (laughs) it's, it's, this isn't, we have to be able to imagine ourselves into the future and it has to be Hmm. able to be something we want to live in. Otherwise we're never going to wrap our heads around it.
0: That's pretty good, Liz. And So let me just ask, let's talk about the money part of it. Uh, I love the process. I understand how what you're doing here. It seems uh, quite uh, innovative and interesting, and something other states might want to consider. Uh, Forty million dollars, five to seven million dollars per parish. Da da da. The uh, Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, the state agency that that handles. The projects list is about i don't know we're well north of 50 billion dollars in overall, a lot of money in there a lot of money in that <laughs> building barrier islands you know the diversion channels the all of all of the work that is being done on the weekend big big, big big dollars now 40 million dollars i like um i think it needs to be higher funded number 1 number 2 yeah. is it a one shot deal or are we going to do this again is this just we did it one time and that's great and we're done. Or are you looking for round two um, with these projects either in the same parishes or in other areas of the Louisiana coast? What's the scoop?
3: You know, I'm glad you asked that. Um, You know, the CPRA $50 billion is, is sort of legally required to be spent in the current manner in which it's designated. Okay.
0: um, I'm I'm all for it.
3: So that that's there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, you know, the, every single parish in the state of Louisiana has been under at least one, if not many federally uh, declared flood disasters in the last 15 years. Yeah. Um, and so right now there is a statewide uh, effort called the Louisiana watershed initiative uh, to plan statewide for watershed planning um, and plan statewide for watershed management. I'm sorry. Hmm. Um, and I would say it's not, it's not where LA safe, is um, there are certain elements of LA safe that are um, being uh, being um, attempted to be incorporated but uh, you know we don't have statewide the level of sophistication in terms of flood, re- flood maps that we have for the coastal area from the master plan and so I see that as a first at the very least A first step in more comprehensively understanding our flood risk across the state and making investments to uh, have more comprehensive water management Mm. across uh, an area that drains 41 percent of the country. But the bigger thing for me is that every state agency needs to be aligning with um, both uh, both climate emissions reduction as well as uh, climate adaptation and incorporating the uh, existing asset vulnerabilities, um, existing practices and programs, as well as future planning, future development, future investment um, into this horizon. Um, it shouldn't be one agency's job. It has to be all of our jobs. And Got that's it. how you're going to leverage the amount of money that's required, because it won't just be coastal money or climate money. It'll be any dollars going towards public health accommodate for the mental health care strains that we're seeing in areas hmm. losing population and with extreme storm events. Okay. Or it'll be, you know, economic development that includes diversification and leveraging the billions of dollars that are already being spent and are more secure than any established revenue stream we've ever had in the state of Very, very
0: good. Yeah, it is. And so this is my kind of question is, is John Bell Edwards, the great governor of Louisiana. uh, What you're arguing for here is that this process is actually conducive to a wide variety of state and federal investment dollars that are being brought into coastal communities, works communities statewide. So what I want to know is what did John Bell, uh, John Bell Edwards and the rest of the leadership in the state think about the process you executed? Are they thinking, boy, this is a model that really connects us to local needs in a, in a, in a really good way, make sure that our spending decisions are responsive to local need? How did it play? What's the, what's the word on the street?
3: yeah I think I think the Edwards administration certainly acknowledges and respects the process and um, and and the way it worked and and the ideas that have come from it and we see that uh, in his leadership to both uh, establish uh, sign an executive order requiring uh, coastal resilience and climate resilience sort of investments across state agencies huh, uh, at least great. staffing beginning to pay attention there um, I wouldn't say that it's it directly building on the takeaways from the community design uh, that occurred in the LA safe process but it is a first step um, in in beginning to understand across agencies where and how to improve uh, resilience outcomes. Um, uh, John Bell has also signed an executive order establishing the Climate Task Force, um, and our senior leadership and myself and many of our allies are are on that or a part of it, uh, that this Climate Task Force is actually uh, to designate actionable pathways to reduce emissions uh, to get to net zero in the state of Louisiana by 2050, um, and that's a huge step for Louisiana. Um, and so ensuring that there are, are worthwhile tactics that are um, that are actually w- taking significant, mentionable and actionable steps towards achieving that goal is tremendous. And so I'm really grateful uh, for for his leadership here. Um, I think there's still a lot left to do uh, yeah. at the Foundation for Louisiana. You know, we are doubling down on investments that have emerged from this work. Um, so, you know, across the board, we're always making investments to build people power um, by strengthening civic engagement infrastructure and capacity um, to advance just climate policies, uh, creating equitable outcomes through analysis, research, recommendations, and advocating where it makes sense. And then cultivating narratives to actually catalyze statewide climate action. But more specifically, we also understand that uh, we can lead our work in a, in a direction that lends the greatest potential for change and for us Uh, That is economic opportunity, environmental justice, and equitable development um, as part of a climate justice portfolio. So what does it mean to ensure that we're building inclusive economic opportunities through both the coastal restoration and water management investments, but also through other emerging sectors that could help to diversify the economy while reducing the economic disparities that are built into our state? What does it mean to acknowledge that the petrochemical corridor in the state of Louisiana uh, Um, has continued to um, harm our communities Um, and what does it mean to acknowledge that harm even while we acknowledge our reliance on that industry, Um, what does it mean to Uh, ensure that the communities uh, most impacted by those decisions, um, you know, 80% of those facilities are put next to black communities, 100% next to low-income communities, are a part of uh, the designs to actually reduce greenhouse gases and emissions, remediate toxicities, um, and preserve Louisiana's natural resources for future generations. A lot of the areas where we're seeing expanded petrochemical investment are the high ground areas where we actually need to be poised to grow in an inclusive (laughs) way to accommodate migration. Um, And finally, speaking of growth in the equitable development space, we continue to invest in um, analysis of where we're seeing ongoing population movement, who is able to move, what are the factors that influence migration. Uh, And that has a lot of ramifications to housing and development. Um, So how do we ensure uh, affordable and inclusive communities across the state, uh, both in areas losing population with the tremendous effects there, as well as the areas growing in population continuing to expand development, seeing predatory land acquisition, climate gentrification, um, and development without any regard for where water is going or could go, uh, both with extreme rainfall and increased sea level rise. Um, so the work continues, and I would say these, these projects all build on uh, takeaways from the L.A. Safe process. This portfolio um, has, has always been built out of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of community meetings that we've had, um, and so I'm really excited uh, to see more expanded and targeted investment across sectors in Louisiana uh, to really get to a, a more healthy, just, and vibrant state.
1: Well, I have to say, uh, just my gut reaction here as a as my final thought on on this show, Peter, is that uh, it seems like Liz, you figured out how to do the bottom up thing. You managed to get uh, the the flow, <laughs> the the idea flow, the energy flow to come uh, from the bottom up. And I, I realized that was a, a huge team effort. It wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. just you or the The leadership that did it it was it was the bottom up it it, energy came from the grassroots and Worked its way up into a place where projects could be funded and that just really That's the ticket to me of like a good democratic process a good way to solve problems a good way to get buy-in and support And Mm -hmm. so often when we run into problems, I feel like it's because we're jumping a step. We're we're skipping over that process you know either because because of some sort of dirty corruption or because of uh you know just we we forget it it's it's negligence or lack of appreciation for why it matters right totally um so liz As a final question from me, I'm wondering if you have any, um, you know, these processes, these community processes are happening, happening all over the American shoreline in all sectors. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for um, people who are leading these efforts and trying to um, get that that energy flow from the bottom to the top? What what would you advise people to do?
3: (laughs) I would advise people to send local leadership, first of all, um, and center uh, the the many different types of leaders that we have in our communities across the country um, to recognize that the speed of trust is slow. And there are decades and generations of experience of uh, maybe government not following through on promises they've made or um, going another direction or just the transitions and electoral cycles influencing where investments fall through the cracks uh, that mean that, you know, the, the, tr- the distrust is perpetual and um, the only way to break through that is through genuine relationships and accountability um, and uh, through actually genuinely collaborating uh, with the people from communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and acknowledging their time. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, we we had 65 Lead the Coast graduates be facilitators of the public meetings. Um, we we provided, you know, stipends of $15 an hour, um, but we have also continued to expand that practice and have now tiers of stipends for all the ways that we engage community members, um, but really centering those folks. The last thing I would mention is that um, institutionalized and systemic racism are built into every level of our policies and practices they especially show up in the way that racialized real estate valuation is incorporated into cost-benefit analyses that prioritize investments Um, and so understanding the ways in which uh, racism has been built into our decision-making fabrics and infrastructures is really critical uh, to us uh, working to Reduce disparities as we uh, as we adapt to climate change and as we take steps to mitigate climate change, uh, a- as opposed to exacerbating the existing inequities that are built into um, our social fabric, and frankly, continue to exacerbate the distrust I mentioned before.
0: Wow. Well, it is clear that there's something cool going on down in Louisiana Bayou when it comes to climate change adaptation, and uh, folks. Uh, I think paying attention to the work of the Foundation for Louisiana and Liz Williams Russell's efforts is something I'd advise people around the country to take a hard look at. They have, they, as you guys are at the spear point of these issues, I think it's incredibly innovative. Uh, I think the lessons that you're learning and applying uh, are incredibly important and are going to come up in virginia and in florida and in north carolina and all the coastal states around Mm -hmm. around america this is how you got to do it and it's down and dirty and it's with the people and it's hard work and it's you got to listen i have one more thing to add i know i said i had my final
1: thought but i got i got one more final thought so all you we got iphones right so i i feel like liz there's some 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 folks out there might be a little uh turned off by this idea of uh, climate justice in your title oh it's that's soft that's social that's not you know listen when you get an iphone and every so often there's a software update that comes onto that iphone or your your cell phone the 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 notion is it's getting better. Things change. You'll notice that the thing does, works a little differently. That's the, the the flow of the operating system <laughs> changes a little bit. And yeah. it, what yeah. I'm saying is, this is an evolution in process to me. That's in the social process. And for those of us who, uh, particularly people who have done this for a long time, have been engaged in. Coastal, you know, beach projects, X, Y, or Z. This might sound a little, I don't know, out there, but I yeah. guarantee that these, this is the way of the future. And the sooner you can like get that software update and become comfortable with it, and just, I think it is better. So that, yeah. that's just my, I'm just pushing, you know, don't, don't, don't write off this notion. This is going to be, I very firmly believe this is going to be, uh, you know, apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> no, to, I to, think, the, uh, to the future. Well, this I is going to be all in
0: agreement. Uh, climate justice and the recognition that systemic racism and practices, past practices, influence how these problems are going to be looked at, how the investments are going to be made, who is going to benefit. Uh, those are uh, those decisions are all influenced by the historic context of, of the country and so i think i'm i'm with you climate justice being a a predominant part of the thinking here in terms of actual engagement at the local level listening working understanding the disparities in the past that contribute to decision making that is unjust is sensible and i think you're right it's gonna that's not gonna that's not gonna quit happening that's gonna need to happen in all these
1: it's going to be essential it's go it's a part of the process now so
0: Uh, I just, I just want to say, let's, let's yeah. embrace it. Yeah, so Liz, final thoughts from you, and also how do people keep up and learn about what you're doing, please?
3: Yeah, um, so just to learn more um, about what the Foundation for Louisiana is up to, uh, you can always check out foundationforlouisiana.org. Um, if you'd like to contribute uh, to the work of the foundation, foundationforlouisiana.org slash donate, And we've actually just launched a 15 for 15 uh, campaign. It is our 15th anniversary. And as we uh, double down and continue to expand this work, uh, we're excited to uh, continue seeking investment for an endowment that ensures sustainability of work towards equity and justice for the state of Louisiana. you know, generally. Uh, oh, I will add also if you'd like to learn more about the LA Safe process, uh, lasafe.la.gov uh, also includes the seven adaptation strategies planning documents that emerged from this planning process, as well as more information about the ten investments that were made from that 41 million dollars. I'm realizing we didn't even talk about the adaptation strategies, but there are lots of policy recommendations. Um, mm-hmm and design thinking, visioning, built into uh, these, these planning documents for each parish and then for the region as a whole. Um, I am uh, grateful and really energized for the amount of work that I see taking place. Um, and I just want uh, to acknowledge the way that I uh, am also seeing people try to grapple with the really hard stuff. Um, it isn't easy. And, uh, and, and it's not easy when you're talking about climate change and emissions reduction and adaptation and future community viability, and it certainly is not easy when you're talking about institutionalized and systemic racism, especially um, as a white woman like myself. Um, but that work is, is necessary, and it's important that we don't see ourselves as apart from these communities. This work is personal. It is everything that we care about. Um, is uh, the future of the places we live um, and and the world we appreciate. Um, and and it's generational work. And so we have to be investing both in ourselves and in the people around us uh, for the decades and generations to come uh, because uh, this is this is long and and necessary and enduring. Uh, work And I, I, I believe well, um, in our
0: capacity to do it. Yeah, really outstanding a phrase of the interview. I thought the speed of trust is slow. I love that. Me too. Uh, I think that the work that you've done and how you're doing it is is really the guideline that uh, guiding light for a lot of uh, uh, planners and folks out there trying to figure out how to respond to changing conditions along the American shoreline. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Liz Williams-Russell. She is the Climate Justice Program Director at the Foundation for Louisiana and part of the community of people who are working hard to figure out how to respond most effectively and most fairly to sea level rise and climate change on the American shoreline. Liz, thanks for taking the time to be with us.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
0: The beaches they to build new
3: hotels. My father Thank uh-huh. you.